Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, your host, and we've got a particularly good show for you today. My second guest is a guy who is paid to be hilarious. His name is Mike Reese, and he is a writer for The Simpsons who also travels a heck of a lot and has a podcast about his travels. So we we talked Simpsons, we talked travel, we talked a little bit about Disney, but I'm bringing in the real expert for that. I'm bringing in the big guns. I'm talking about Jason Cochran, who is not only the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com, he is also the author of Fromers, Walt Disney World, Universal Studios, and Orlando. Jason, it's such a long title. Did I get the name right? Almost. That's fine. Just say Universal <laughs> and Orlando, and that it would have been oh, right. Yeah. I always want to say Universal Studios because that's the old name. But yeah, you're that's right. right. Sorry. You're seeing that, that just shows that you've got a long history and you understand how where things are coming from because you've named the origin of what Universal Orlando is now. Yeah, but not as long a history as you. Not only do you write this book, but you've been going there since you were a young child. You're a super fan in a certain way, right? Well, I think I, when I was a kid, I was a super fan. And um, I've now seen the company change uh, very much, you know, all those years since the very early 70s when I was going in Florida. So I think uh, it lends itself well to, to the kind of work I do for Fromers now because I can be a consumer reporter about Disney and I have the background of having loved it as a kid. So I know why it's important to people. But I'm also kind of not afraid to just sort of say what's really happening. If it's not so great, I'll let you know. I'll warn you about it. Well, maybe not super fan is the is the right word, but you're a historian. I mean, one Wait. of the things I love about your book is you really give the history and the cultural relevance of the different things you see at these theme parks. Yeah, I, I mean, think Disney it's very like, different. Super fans are super fans at Disney. It's like, right. you know, like a season pass holder for the Yankees. I mean, people who just will not hear anything against their team. And there's a similarity to the people who love Disney with the people who go, you know, rabid for their favorite baseball team, for example. It's very similar. Right. So my, my second guest is very curmudgeonly about travel uh, and has to travel a lot. But when I told him I was going to have you on, he said, I could go to Disney anytime. It's my favorite place on earth. And I think that's how a lot of people feel about it. But you just spent weeks in Orlando. And we won't just talk about Disney. But we'll also talk about Universal. U- Orlando is now a good time to go. Well, the people who love Disney, like uh, Mike, who just, you know, anytime they're in Disney, they're happy. They're the people who are going back right now. They, it, it's killing them that it's been gone for a long time. You know, the, the parks in Florida were closed until last July. The park in California only opened a few weeks ago after, you know, more right. than 400, 400 days closed. And you Those were the there yesterday. Are, I was there yesterday. You could probably hear the exhaustion still in my voice having walked 12 miles. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's a lot. But it's um, those are the people who are rushing back. They 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 are like the Yankee fans who can't wait to get back in opening opening day. They'll they'll give their right arm to be back in those bleachers. That's what's happening. So the people who are at back at Disney right now are not typically your first timers. They're the people who are ready, you know, for that hit of Disney they've been doing without for a, a year or plus, right? Right. So so we got a lot of people in the parks. Believe it or not, even though all of the theme parks across the board have capped attendance at around 25, 35, 40 percent ballpark, hmm. depending on where you are. Um, it still feels incredibly busy because most of the lines are not indoors. They're all snaking outdoors. They found all these spaces out in the, you know, in the heat in Florida's case. 
to, to line people up six feet, six feet apart, you know? Right. And so everyone's visible. Everyone's out. Now you'll, you're not shoulder to shoulder, but it feels like the park is a busy summer day when you realize that there's really no one inside, just the people on the ride at that exact moment. And then they come back outside again. It's, it's an interesting time to be uh, in Orlando, especially with all the safety protocols that they're trying to work their way through. That must be very rough. I'm surprised they didn't put up, uh, you know, umbrellas or something to shade these you know, lines. It's expensive, and and most of most of Disney's uh, open time since the reopening has been in the winter time when that wasn't as important. Now, if I you're looking see. at going to the parks in the summertime, and if they're still social distancing, which they probably will be for still a fair bit of time, you really need to prepare yourself. It is difficult because in florida's case it could be 95 degrees you're, you're, you're again no umbrellas in these long queues outside generally no misters to keep you cool no fans so you really have to you have to be physically strong i think i had someone with me on one day who is has some physical limitations and she decided not to come on the second day because it huh. was just too much for her uh, and you know they don't have the parking trams running and this seems like small stuff on the surface, but then that make you have to realize that means you're going to walk from the car all the way to the park. You can't rent a wheelchair or an electric vehicle until you get to the park. Oh boy! Um, and that's a long walk. In California's case, in Disneyland's case, yesterday, I between the time I parked and I got to the park gates, and there was no place to get a wheelchair in between the two, I looked at my health app on my phone. I had walked 1.3 miles just to get from my car to the gate. And wow. if you have limitations and you needed to have something to roll in, you know, or, or can't walk that long. I don't know what you would have done. So this is this, people need to be aware that this is what's happening at the parks right now. And if that's if you can do that and that's you, great. But there are people who aren't aware of how arduous it's really going to be until they get everything back in shape again. Well, you say this is how it is in the parks now. Is it the same at Universal? It's pretty much the same at most of the parks. Universal doesn't have parking trams. They have a structure you walk from, but it's a similar situation. You know, in their parking structure, you can get a wheelchair, but not an ECV. So you still have to do that long walk all the way to the park itself before you can rent one of those things. Universal, mm -hmm. I find much easier than Disney overall because a lot of their wait, their waiting places are more sheltered. Uh, they just designed it sort of better and more sensibly. Disney is... Um, I was designed by a lot of Californians, but then placed in Florida. So they were expecting temperate weather, but the lines are outside in, in Florida where it means something else completely to be underneath the sun for an hour, right? Sure, sure. So there's wow. a lot to consider. And also they're pushing people to ordering your food on your mobile phone. They're pushing people you know, to try to do as much as possible ahead of time on your phone, including make ride reservations. This is problematic for a number of reasons. But one is that uh, they will run out of mobile order time slots at the beginning of lunch. So yesterday at Disneyland, I was hungry at 11.45 in the morning. I look on my app to try to order some food just to pick it up. That's through the mobile order. And there were no slots left until 1.30, almost you know, an hour and a half, two hours later. Oh, uh, my so goodness. And most of the people had no idea that this was you know, going to be the case. So they were not eating for two or three hours until they could find an open slot. And this is because and that's particularly a problem. Yeah. That's a particularly a problem with kids when kids get hungry. Oh boy. Right. Everything goes, gets shot to hell. Well, that's why I'm here on the podcast today, you know, to let people know that this, this stuff is happening right now. It may not bother you, but you need to just be aware of it so you can prepare for it. If someone in your party 
isn't able to wait, you know, that kind and that of And they don't allow you to bring in food, do they, to these to parks? To a degree. Or? You can't bring a hard-sided cooler in, but you can bring sandwiches and something. Yeah, you okay. can, some basic things you can, you so can bring. That yeah. might be the thing to do right now, especially. Yeah, but finding um, a place to sit is difficult because they're now, everyone's outside, everyone's waiting for something outside. And in some cases, there's only every other table open, every other bench open. And that the biggest complaint I heard about from people who don't complain a lot about theme parks was that they were having a hard time finding someplace to sit and relax and feel cool for a while. The uh, other major complaint that I had in um, Florida is because um, uh, capacity is now reduced. One of the most important, biggest theme park rides in the world right now is called Rise of the Resistance. It's the new marquee ride, about a year old, a year and a half old, at Disney's Hollywood Studios. But they're letting more people in the park than can get on the ride in the course of a day. So they mm. ha you have to go to your app on your phone at 7 in the morning on the day you go to try by random lottery to get a seat on huh. the ride. I tried, it's a Star Wars ride, right? Star Wars ride. And it is, it is absolutely incredible. I love the ride. And because it's incredible, everyone goes – some people fly all the way to a Disney park just to be able to ride it. But you aren't guaranteed to get on it. And I mm. think it's a problem because it's great if you're, you know, 15 and you had to work an app at seven in the morning to grab that spot. But if you're, if you don't have a nice phone, or if you have other, you know, physical considerations, or you don't know how to work electronics very well, you're not going to be able to get on the ride. It's like a fastest fingers situation on who wants to be a millionaire getting that seat. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. Right? People need to know that. Yeah, you might be able to go all the way to Disney because you wanted to ride this amazing ride that's in all the TV ads. You may not be able to get on it, uh, no matter how hard you try. Wow. Well, all right. So you've given us a lot of the negatives. You gave us That's one positive saying it's an incredible ride. Is there anything really great going on at yeah, the, let's talk about the Florida parks first, and then we'll talk California. And see, that's the danger of warning people about these things. I love these parks. I have lots of fun in them. The rides are going full tilt in most cases. Just people aren't aware of the things that they sort of need to prepare for. They aren't being told. That's not in the advertisements that they are, the parks are putting out. But yeah, the, the rides are still going full force. They're still building all kinds of rides at Disney World. Uh, because the 50th anniversary begins in October. So there's going to be another year or two of announcements you're going to hear out of the Disney parks in Orlando as new rides come online. Uh, so that's going to be very exciting for a lot of park fans. Orlando sure. uh, Universal has just finished an incredible roller coaster. It's called Velocicoaster, which doesn't make much sense until you realize it's a tie-in with Jurassic Park. And then uh. the Jurassic Park, <laughs> yeah, Velociraptor was one of those right. like, fiendish little rat-like, yeah. So this is a, it's, I wrote it and it opens officially on June 10th, but it is, in my opinion, one of the, my favorite roller coasters of all time. It's very intense, but it does have these pauses so that I did not come off with a headache. The, see, I started hmm. doing theme park work and writing in my early 20s. I am sure. <clears throat> no longer in my early 20s. So my, I can, <laughs> Nobody my body know. changes. You know, the, the way I cover these sparks has had to change over the years as I see how my body changes when I ride these things. But I was able to get off this ride without feeling sick. And I think that says a lot for, for a lot of people. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Now you went to both Disney World and Disneyland. Yeah. What's 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 the difference between the two right now? At the time I went to Disney World, which was you know a week and a half from when I'm sitting talking to you right now, a week and a half ago, there were masks required outdoors all the time, even if it was uh, 96 degrees. That has now changed. So you only have to wear a mask when you're in line or inside. Disneyland in Florida, different rules. California, different county. They are still requiring masks at all time, no matter where you are. 
But in, in California, it's just not as hard because it doesn't get to 95 and humid. So it's right. much easier for – at the moment in California, they're only letting California residents in or at least that's what they tell you. But they weren't checking anybody's ID coming into the gate. Uh. So I – you didn't hear it from me. My, they didn't check my ID and I walked right in. <laughs> right. But you are a California resident. So, I am, but know, I know people weren't. who brought – my friend of mine brought her mother two days before and her mother's a New York resident. She got in, no mm. problem. So, But you didn't hear it from me. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. What What else? Any other differences between the two that people should know? Uh, generally not. Generally, um, because now they've gotten rid of all – you've heard of Fast Pass. Even people who've never been to Disney have heard of Fast Pass. And that's sure. where you get a little reservation for a, a popular ride at a specific time. So you don't have to wait in the long, long, long line. All those are gone at the moment because they use the space for social distance lines. So no Fast Pass. That means every line, every ride is on equal footing. It's just straight up everybody waits. And um, happily, because the capacity limits are fairly low – I never waited longer for 40 minutes, even for the most popular rides, which I think wow. was, would be a good day on any any, any of these parks. And um, had a great time. Uh, food was fine. You know, all that was good. But the major difference, though, is this Florida requires so much more advanced preparation uh, between figuring out you not only have to buy a ticket, you also have to buy a reservation for the day you'd like to use the ticket. And huh. if you buy the ticket before you know the reservation is going to be open on the day you want to go, then you'll have a ticket you can't use. So oh. it gets very complicated um, at the moment while this capacity stuff is, is going on. Um, yeah. So you must that if you want to go to almost any theme park at the moment, they'll probably ask you, you know, which day you want to go. And the answer will, you know, whether you should buy that ticket or not will depend entirely on whether they have that space on the day you want to go. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Brave new it's world. It's so much more complicated. Most of it's preparation that takes the most work. The doing is, it's easy to wait in line with your friends and have popcorn. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it ain't Disney World, but something very magical has happened in New York City. And it, it's so magical that I am not a morning person. I got up at 545 this morning just to make sure I could get in on the very first day that Little Island opened. Yeah. Little Island is this kind of Gaudi-esque island that's been growing off the West Side Highway in the Hudson River for the last, wow, almost a decade. I've seen, I'm a, I'm a cyclist. I, I bike on the West Side Highway often, and I've seen it grow each year, and it's finally open, and it's wonderful. It looked kind of goofy originally, but it's a Speaking very- of Disney. Yeah, well, you know, exactly. New York is a city that's kind of thought of as, you know, a place of skyscrapers and lots of sidewalks and subways and hard surfaces. But the truth is, New York has always been one of the most innovative cities in all the planet in terms of its green spaces. I mean, when when Central Park uh, was first debuted it blew people's minds because it was this massive park that was created for a civic reason. They wanted uh, citizens of New York to be able to blow off steam and to blow off steam in very different ways. And so they created a park that was a patchwork of different things you could do. There was a mall for strolling. There was a dairy with actual cows so city kids could see where milk came from. Uh, there was a place called the Ramble, which had looked like a deep, dense forest. And nobody had ever built a park like this before. 
and and it became incredibly influential. And there are parks all over the world now based on Central Park. And then then we did the High Line, which was a a, a milestone in terms uh, in terms of urban reclamation. You know, this uh, abandoned rail track was turned into this gorgeous park, a couple of stories up from the street. And it's one of the most delightful things to see and do in New York. Now, right where that, uh, well, not directly where the High Line starts, but very near it, is this gorgeous little island. One of the things about Manhattan is it's very flat. And it didn't used to be. Before uh, the colonial settlers came here, it was a very hilly place. But over the years, New Yorkers flattened the, the whole island out. Uh, to make it more walkable. They, they literally created landfill with the little hills they scooped out. But when you go to Little Island, which is this gorgeous park, it's all hills. But it's hills that look like something out of, I don't know, a Tolkien movie. Uh, they're, they're not that big, but they've got these looping switchbacks that are so whimsical looking. And then there's one area where you suddenly hear wind chimes and you realize it's because people are dancing on these tiles set into the ground. And so many people are jogging in the area that there was like a line of people who had jogged into the park and then just wanted to dance on the tiles. You could only do it one at a time. Uh, there's two amphitheaters. Uh, it just feels like another park that breaks the mold. That, that takes uh, a watery area, the Hudson River, and turns it into a playground. I think we're going to see other parks around the world created because of Little Island. It's, it's really a game changer. It's absolutely gorgeous. Can I add gorgeous. a little more context sure, for people Sure, please do. If yeah. you do go, um, it's very close to the Meatpacking District. And as you said, where the High Line, the southern end is, and the Standard Hotel, it's maybe a five-minute walk from these things. Uh, right. And it, it, even though it's an island in name, there are pathways to it from the, yes. uh, the side of the water. You don't have to take a ferry. That you would a, a traditional island from the side, though. That's so interestingly designed. It looks like it looks like they figured out a way to gather a lot of champagne glasses together, fill them <laughs> with things at, at different heights, and so from the side, it's sort of being held aloft at different angles by these stemmed goblets. It's a beautiful yeah. piece of architecture, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they call them tulips. They're these pillars and every single quote unquote tulip is a different size and shape because it's, it was engineered through computer engineering to specifically hold that part of the amphitheater or this hill or that walkway. And so each one was engineered for different weight needs. Um, but it's just gorgeous. And another and reason you should Wasn't go ahead. This exactly. This pier, isn't this roughly where the White Star Line, famous for the Titanic, used to be? Is it right in that zone of town? Is This is where the great passenger liners used to come in. Yes, it actually replaced a pier. And that pier was where the Titanic survivors debarked mm -hmm. when they came back on uh, the, uh, Carpathia. Oh, what was the? the Carpathia. And the Jane Hotel, where a lot of them stayed, uh, is, I think used to be recommended in, your, in our former It, is. it still is. I love it. It's a great, great hotel. Away. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And it was also where the Lusitania took off in 1915, only to be torpedoed by the Germans. This was its last bit of being near dry yeah. land. 
Um, and that so, part of yes. the, the city, you know, was ignored. Then up in, like, 40 years ago, there was an elevated highway there. That's long gone. And now people just bike and jog and skate for miles up and down that West Coast on the Hudson River. Uh, also, Chelsea Market, the very famous gourmet food market that was a mold for so yes. many places in the world, is again about two blocks away. So you can do all of them, these things, all this on the same afternoon. Yeah, no, it's it's really exciting. And it's a great time to visit New York right now. The city is coming alive. We don't have Broadway back yet. That doesn't happen until September 14th. But I've been updating my book, Fromer's New York City Day by Day, and running around and seeing things. And it's a delightful time to be in the museums uh, because like at the theme parks, they have themed entry, but that means you can be at the Metropolitan Museum in a room filled with Impressionist paintings all alone <laughs> and not having to crane your neck or Frankly, you wait know, till somebody MoMA, moves out of the way. Yeah, it, it's, the big complaint of MoMA is like, I can't move. And now a timed entry makes all the difference. And also hotels are a good 50% often cheaper than they would have been at this time in 2019. And I know this because I uh, stopped presses on this book. So I am directly comparing the prices that were in the book that I was about to print but didn't with what I'm seeing today. So I'm, I'm seeing air hotel rates are way down now. They're being counterbalanced, unfortunately, by attraction prices going up. Sometimes significantly, like the uh, the um, Intrepid, which is this uh, amazing uh, naval vessel that's now open for tours and is a really great place to visit. It's it's a good, I think, six dollars more uh, per person, and I'm seeing big jumps in a lot of attractions prices. I guess they're trying; they need to make up for what they lost when they they couldn't uh, bring in visitors. But Little Island and the High Line and Chelsea Market are all free to walk through. All free. All free. Yeah. So so that's what's happening in New York. And you can read about these things on Fromers.com. You can see the photos I took at 6 a.m. this morning. (laughs) The light was great. It was a good time for for photography. What also will probably be on on Fromers.com is a big announcement or or a big law being passed that will change how we can vacation this summer. Uh, Jason, can you take that? Are you talking about Alaska? Yes. Yes. Sorry, that was was very vague. I know. Well, so much is changing the way we're traveling this summer. It could have been a lot of things. But yeah, um, as, as we're recording this, it looks very much like the Alaska cruise system, which we all thought was going to be a wash for 2021, is going to happen, at least partially. The problem was there's been a long-standing law in the books that says if you have a ship that's flagged in a foreign country, you can't sail from America to America. You have to stop somewhere internationally in between. That has hampered the cruise industry from having Alaska cruises because Canada doesn't want any cruise ships touching down until next February right. for its own its own security reasons, its own health reasons. So Congress, it looks like uh, this afternoon is passing um, a, 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 basically a suspension of this rule. So now you will be able to get on a cruise ship in Seattle and go to Alaska and have an Alaska cruise without going to Canada, whereas most years that would not be legal. This year it will be. So all the cruise lines are overjoyed. And they're very, very quickly announcing that starting, I think, in July, as soon as July out of Seattle, um, Holland America, I think Princess, another couple ones are going to be rejoining Alaska season, uh, which was a season that they had written off, that they thought they right. weren't going to be able to have. 
Well, not only are the cruise ships overjoyed, uh, the Alaskans are overjoyed. I mean, oh, a lot of those it. communities depend entirely on, on tourism. They have no other industry now. So, uh, now we still have problems it's, with you what, know, what it I, mean, you know, because yeah. the CDC and the cruise industry are still trying to figure out what the safety protocols are all are going to be. But that's just, this is one of the biggest impediments that was between get between us and getting more back to normal. But, you know, I have mixed feelings. I, I'm glad it's just a suspension of this law rather than, uh, you know, throwing that law off the books, because I think this law was put into place to try and dissuade uh, cruise ship companies from flagging their ships elsewhere, because these massive companies that everybody thinks of as American, I mean, they have their headquarters in Miami, I'm talking Carnival, I'm talking Royal Caribbean. They flag their ships elsewhere to avoid paying American taxes. And that that Pete, that that doesn't make me too happy. So I, I think the the rule was probably originally put into place to try and strong arm them into admitting they were American companies, but it never worked. So No. No, they're they're just such big industries now. They when it comes time for, you know, subsidies and uh, and help in times of need, they're right up there as if they were paying their taxes in America the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, lots changing, lots happening in the world of travel. Many people. But all good. All of it's good. Well, most of it's good. We also have an article on Fromers.com about how prices are going up. So that ain't good. But, you know, there a lot of it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's such a relief to be yeah. able to get out there again safely and responsibly. That's as important as safe. And, you know, supply and demand is always what it is. When people have now releasing themselves from their lockdowns or all going at once, when that demand subsides a little bit, prices, I'm sure, will become more sane again. This is a temporary example of, you know, just everyone wanting to leave the house at once. And I'm hoping right. it won't last. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, on that happy note, uh, thank you, Jason. Thank and, you. And uh, don't uh, don't uh, shut this off. We've got another guest next. Our next guest also has a podcast. It's called "What Am I Doing Here?" He is. Mike Reese, he's a longtime writer for The Simpsons TV show. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. It's great to be here. Thank you. So I've been having so much fun listening to your podcast, and some of it has to do with the fact that you get invited places because of your connection with The Simpsons. I, I got to ask, what was the place that surprised you the most to be invited to, that, that you wouldn't think that they would be watching The Simpsons? Or does the whole world just watch it? They watch it everywhere. It's much easier to say where they don't watch it, which is huh. Japan and mainland China. They don't get us. And that's fine. It drives The Simpsons people crazy. Why can't we get Japan? And it's like huh. we have everywhere else in the world. The couple of places that really surprised me, they know it in Iran, and I wow. was invited to speak in Qatar or Qatar. Uh, they went really crazy for it. Uh, but I think the level of intensity that shocked me, because I, I don't think any of us even knew the show was on in Russia. Yeah. And, and yet I showed up there, and there were paparazzi there. To, to wow. Wow. 
paparazzi and they had headshots of me and I'm nobody, you know, I, <laughs> I know, you know, Bart Simpson is somebody, but they knew me and that was a big shock. Well, do you think that they get the humor because of uh, the familial components to it, that it's, it's a family of different types or do they get a lot of the very American illusions that are in the, in the series? It, it, there's a few reasons. One, they get it because it's a cartoon. Like everybody yeah. gets Mickey Mouse. They don't like Mickey Mouse, but they get him. You know, he's uni- cartoons are very universal. A lot of it, of course, is the family. All families are the same. And <laughs> I was once, I think, in Malaysia, and a, uh, a Malaysian bartender says to me, uh, Homer Simpson is a very Malaysian father. And I go, <laughs> I go, yeah, that's what we're going for. And then two wow. minutes later, a Danish tourist came up to me and he said, the Simpsons have a very Danish sense of humor. And, you know, which is sort of an oxymoron. But yeah. it's two countries, in, you know, couldn't be more far apart embracing it as their own. So I don't get, you know, the one thing that amazes me is just, America, where we make it, is probably our most mild audience. I mean, they like it and it's popular, but they go crazy for it in Australia, in Britain, in in Singapore. Again, I was mobbed by women. It was, I want to go Lucky you. Yeah, (laughs) it was crazy. They were tearing at my clothes. I go, no. Really? yes, Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Wow. I gave a speech there in Singapore, and then women were coming up and pulling at me and pulling at my clothes. It's like, you know, have you looked at me? It's uh, <laughs> It was so weird. And of course, uh, you know, the luck of it is just I get to do this because Homer Simpson can't go out on tour. You know, hmm. they get me or they get nothing. It's a, uh, you know, any other TV show, I'm sure they want the stars, they want the actors, but right, they right. have to settle for a writer producer, producer. Well, I'm assuming that in the writer's room, everybody writes all the characters or is one person in charge of Homer, another person is more a Lisa voice or does everybody do everything? Everybody does everything. I'm glad you phrased it that way because it's, it's the most common Dumb question I get. And oh, it's a lot. No, no, Mike. no, no, no. I'm saying <laughs> you got it. I get it all the time. We all get it. It's the most common question about Simpsons. Which character do you write for? And hmm. it's like, how how would that work? You know, I I come in as Marge, and someone comes in as Lisa. It's it's a very strange idea that a lot of people have. But no, it is. It is a completely collaborative process, and everybody writes everybody. And when you go to other places to talk about it, do you have to be worried about uh, misrepresenting the show? Or you know, there was a there was a big kerfuffle about Apu, right. uh, the uh, Indian uh, owner. Have you ever been to India to discuss? The Simpsons, and and how do they feel about Apu? I, you know, of all the places I've been, India is the place I finally had to say stop inviting me. I mean, I've been hmm. there. I've been to Mumbai four times talking wow. about the Simpsons, and I finally had to say stop. You know, I think I know it's a big city, but I think I've talked to you all already. So no, they have no 
problem with Apu. They have no problem with the character. I'm not diminishing the controversy, but it's it's a, it's a segment of uh, of Indian Americans. I think, especially who were growing up under the character, and you know, took took righteous offense at it, but. India doesn't get that at all. They don't. They don't understand. They don't understand the controversy. Huh. That's that's interesting. They might actually miss Apu. Is he? He's gone now, right? Or he's has neither it- here nor there. I call him huh. Schrodinger's character, and that <laughs> he's still in the show, but we don't write for him anymore. Huh. Uh, we just we just don't know how to handle it. The, the big thing to say about that Apu controversy was a guy made a documentary two years ago, I think, maybe three years ago, complaining, oh, just a complete documentary complaining about Apu, how it affects Indian Americans. They got to get rid of Apu. And it started this back and forth controversy. Should they keep Apu and not keep Apu? And what nobody, including a guy who made a whole movie about it, seemed to notice was we hadn't used Apu on the show in three years because Hmm. Hank Azaria, the actor who voices the character, was woke long before the word woke was a word. He just came in one day and said, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't want to do it anymore. So we just, you know, we didn't make a big deal out of it. We just stopped putting Apu in the shows. Interesting. And that was it. And so he'd been gone already for at least a year or two, and nobody seemed to notice it. Interesting. Interesting. So your podcast is a travel podcast. You're writing about or talking about the places you've gone in the world. You say you've been to Mumbai four times. Holy moly. Yeah. What what have been some of the adventures that you've had in Mumbai? In Mumbai is a hard town. It's uh, in that people don't realize it's a, it's a newer city. I think it's a city that sort of got built up around the Suez Canal in like 19... 19- so it doesn't have the rich history and culture of all the other cities in India. And I've been all over India. Uh, it's a fascinating place. Very fascinating place. And uh, yeah, I like it very much. That was it. That's where I just said I've, I've seen the four things in Mumbai. I, I, <laughs> I can't keep coming back. Right. And you, you also, one of the segments I, I listened to, you went to Russia and you had a, I've never been, my father has, my father was invited there at the height of the Cold War to try and boost Russian tourism. And because his mother was Russian and he had studied the language, he went to an official dinner and they kept giving him drink after drink after drink. And he ended up singing Russian nursery rhymes until the early hours with all of these, you know, uh, uh, bureaucrats. Uh, it sounds like when you went to Russia, heavy, heavy, heavy drinking happened, right? Heavy drinking happened in midday. It was an all-day conference. <laughs> uh, it started at nine in the morning. They had invited me in just to address 15,000 Russian entrepreneurs. This was in... Moscow Olympic Stadium. Wow. 15,000 Russians. Uh, It started at nine in the morning. At noon, they broke for a two hour lunch that was just power drinking. You know, and I have to speak at at like six that night, so I can't go near the liquor. People are drunk out of their minds at lunch, and they've still got another four or five hours of conference to sit through. Wow. 
if I can tell the story, it's, it's, it's a podcast, but it's a really funny one, which was the first speaker of the day was Richard Gere. Richard Gere, they flew him in directly from shooting a movie in Paris mm. to Moscow. And, you know, he's just dazzling and charismatic. And he comes out on stage in front of 15,000 Russians, goes, hello, Moscow. I love this city. And there's just dead silence. No <laughs> response at all. And I go, I am so screwed. Cause oh. After seven hours of this, then they got to hear me, some guy they never heard of. And so speaker after speaker went up in front of the Russians and just played to dead silence. Malcolm wow. Gladwell spoke. The, hmm. the one that killed me was the ultimate fighting champion of the world, who was a local boy, made good, comes up, greets them in Russian. Oh, I love you. It's great to be home. Dead silence. <laughs> because because they had imbibed so much vodka, or what was it? I, I'll never know. I'll, I'll never. Well, I'll, I'll get to the end of the story. Which yeah. Is, at least I knew going up there. Okay, this is going to die. And sure enough, <laughs> I, I died in front of fifteen thousand people. And but afterwards, oh. I meet the event organizer, and I'm thinking maybe this is just how a Russian audience is. You know, maybe they keep their joy inside. So I said, I said to her, how did you think that went? And she goes, this was a complete disaster. Oh. <laughs> and, and tomorrow they are tearing down the arena. And it's like, wow, that's a bad review. When they, you did wow. so badly, they tear down the whole stadium. And sure enough, <laughs> the next day, boom, wrecking balls were in there tearing down Moscow Olympic Stadium. Isn't that amazing? That's hilarious. So do you have a favorite place in the world? And that's a question I always hate getting because I I like to go to new places. I, I So I don't go to places over and over and over again. But I'm going to ask you the question I always dread. Do you have a favorite place? Yeah, there's a, there's a few. I mean, the one I always go for is Myanmar or Myanmar or mm. Burma. Someone yeah. grew up calling it Burma. That is just one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And then... It's full of shrines and monuments and giant statues. And, of course, it's Myanmar. You don't know what's there at all. So it's a complete surprise to you where every three or four miles you're driving. And then, well, here's four Buddhas as big as the Statue of Liberty. And then wow. here's something the size of Central Park that's crammed with temples. And that was it. Just beautiful sights you didn't know were there. And yeah. the countryside is beautiful. It's very mellow. I think 10% of the population is monks. They There may be a civil war going on there right there now. There is. Yeah, so. that's what it, you're kind of making me sad hearing about the beauty of Myanmar because it's not a place I think you, you can go right now or should go right now because of right. the slaughter of of the rohingya but yes. anyway yeah right there's that so there's that <laughs> it was uh, i liked it at the time and it, it's yeah. a good lesson i i always learned i learned it from my wife because the the funny subtext of the whole podcast is i've been to 134 countries i've been to both poles and i don't want to go anywhere i'm really happy at home I hmm. loved lockdown. I was couldn't have been happier being oh locked goodness. into my little New York apartment. But 
my wife loves to travel and I love my wife. And if I want to see her, I have to go chasing her to <laughs> Libya and Syria and North Korea. So that's how well, that's- I get to where I'm going. Yeah, that's what they say. Happy wife, happy life. Yes, Got to keep her happy. Well, it's a delightful uh, podcast. I highly recommend it. Very, very funny. Before I let you go, so you don't want to be traveling. That's why you call it, why am I here? What am I doing here? Or what am I doing here? It's, fun. it's okay. Everybody gets it wrong. What, <laughs> what am, am I, I doing? What am, what I, am doing? I doing here? So how do you keep your, your sense of humor when you're traveling? You're a man who makes a living because of a good sense of humor. Oh, it's definitely, it, it couldn't be better for my sense of humor. And that it's just, you know, you're never in a rut. You're never bored. You're always in exciting places. Sometimes you're having a great time. Uh, but it's even, it's much, much funnier when things go really bad. And, yeah. you know, that's maybe one trip in three <laughs> but are those the ones that are making your podcast? The ones that really go awry? Yes, it's a combination. Uh, the po- I don't want people to think the podcast is all just me bitching about places I don't like. It's it's a combination of me bitching about places I don't <laughs> like, terrible vacations, and also surprises. You know, I, I, I I've done two podcasts now. I've made two attempts to go see. The Northern Lights. Have you ever mm. seen The Northern Lights? No, I haven't. I'm embarrassed to say. I, I well, would love that's to. It. Everyone tells you they're great. And I mean, I've been there with my own eyes. They look like nothing in person. <laughs> they look like nothing and they look great in photographs. Uh, and it's a you don't of, think you just got the, the you know, not so good lights? No, I know this. I, I mean, I don't. This is why I went to see them twice. I went to Iceland in the dead of winter, and then I went to Alaska in the dead of winter, hoping, oh, maybe the Alaskan northern lights are better. It's Here's the trick of it. They look great on camera. They are beautiful. But, you know, you don't see color at night. You know that when huh. you're driving, everything looks a little gray and washed yeah. out. And that's what the northern lights are like. And Nobody tells you that. It's the kind of BS everyone does on vacation. You know, they come back. It was great. It was wonderful. Nobody wants to admit they had a bad time or they were disappointed. (laughs) I'm the guy who's there to tell you. I had a bad time. I have no problem saying that. (laughs) And then, of course, the converse of that is I'm the guy who comes back from Syria and says, it's a beautiful country. You've got to go to Syria. Iran. These are some of my favorite places. Iran is a place. Iran was a country I didn't want to go. The second we got there, we were interrogated at the airport. I thought, this is the end of me. And then I wound up having the most wonderful trip of my life. I can't wait to go back there. So that's a, there's a lot of those surprises yeah, in the podcast yeah. as well. Well, no, I've heard that about Iran over the years. Everybody who goes finds it the most cultured, welcoming, fascinating country. Everyone I know who's gone has fallen in love with it. Well, it's a delightful podcast, as I said before. Thanks so much, Mike, for appearing on the Farmer Travel Show. Couldn't be happier. Thank you so much for having me. And 
And that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your presence. I'm grateful for your ears. I'm grateful for your interest in travel because I think it's one of the best things one can do with one's time. So to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty and heartfelt bon voyage. See you next week. Watching cable Well it feels so far